Hey, this is Jilly Woodhouse on the Osteo Business Podcast, talking all things osteo business. Here's Jilly Woodhouse, an author, speaker, award-winning business coach, and passionate advocate of osteopathy. Um, today, I want to talk about how I spot opportunities for growth, because recently I've been reflecting on my career, which has been decades now, um, in business, um, having first grown up on a farm in the country in Shropshire. And I've just been thinking about, you know, what are the highlights? What What is it that I do? Where are my strengths? And how does that apply today? Um, and so going right back to the farm, um, I remember joining the Ray Valley Young Farmers Club and um, absolutely loving hanging out with a group of other kids who were uh, daughters and sons of farmers locally. And um, I really felt that uh, uh, it was a great place to hang out because there was absolutely nothing to do out where I was. <laughs> the last bus came home from Shrewsbury about half past six. And after that, you were stuffed. You couldn't go out. Um, so this was when I was about 14, 15, I joined that. And then um, when I was a little bit older, um, I got into the swing of it and I loved it. And I loved helping out with planning things, etc. And um and then one day someone said to me, you really ought to be the secretary of the club. And I went, hey, <laughs> me? Um, and so I thought about it and thought, well, I'll put my name forward and, you know, they'll probably choose someone brighter than me. Um, anyway, they voted for me. So I was in and I looked at the job um, for that, which was unpaid. Obviously, it was just a club. Um, and I, I guess I was about 29. No, I was about 19. I think roughly um, and I just looked at the job and uh, you know basically I had to support the chairman and basically the main job was to organize the meetings and and give them activities to do speakers etc to come in and I looked at what had been and I knew I'd been there what what sort of people we'd brought in in the past to talk to the group as part of the meeting and they were often a bit dull, to be honest. You know, I remember the accountant coming in and, you know, that we were all yawning behind our hands. <laughs> um, it was a bit dreary um, and, you know, n- not not appropriate for our age group at that time, particularly because we were all under 30. Um, and it wasn't a, a, a topic that we were excited about, uh, especially when it was an evening meeting. So I got thinking about what what could I do? And I ended up, I recall, planning out the entire year and um, I took them out to a digger factory to look around that. They loved that. Um, it was a late one. I had to go quite away towards Birmingham, I recall. Um, but I also took them to a milk processing dairy because a lot of them were dairy farmers and they didn't really know what happened to their milk once it left the farm. Um, so they loved that. And I brought in a variety of different speakers from lots of um, local businesses. I remember the um, agrochemical suppliers that I um, ultimately worked for, um, brought them in to talk about um, caring for the land, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And uh, indeed, looking at that now, had I known about osteopathy and how amazing it is, I would have definitely brought in a local osteopath. because uh, I know there's some in Shrewsbury and Welshpool and all around where I was there. Um, 
because of course farmers, um, God love them, I can say this because I am one, um, look after their tractors better than their backs. Um, and so I would most definitely have brought in, <coughs> excuse me, an, an osteopath to talk about health and looking after their bodies because of course farmers work uh, three, six, five days a year and uh, very hardworking people they are. So um, yeah, would have loved to do that. Um, so um, when I moved to London in the early 80s, uh, I ended up working for a commercial property surveyors and estate agents in the West End of London. And um, I worked my way up there um, from sort of, I was audio typist to begin with. Pretty quick I was at that. Um, I used to try and beat the machine typing. I used to type faster than the machine could print. That used to give me a buzz. Um, anyway, uh, I left there and went to Whiteley Shopping Centre and um, worked in the management team there for Hillier Parker. Uh, we reopened that shopping centre and I was one of five that um, that started there. I remember walking in with a electric typewriter and high heels <laughs> to... Uh, um, a building site, you know, which um, was a bit of a shock. Um, but anyway, it was very exciting opening that up. Princess Anne came and opened it. But they had some like nonsense systems, I felt. And because it was a big company and I was a small cog, um, there was nothing I could do to change it. And uh, if I can see something that needs changing, uh, I just want to, you know, rationalise it and say why, why something needs to change and how we can improve it. And and I found I got very frustrated there because um, they were getting me to take invoices that had come in for all the services for the building. And I had to fill in these big forms with big red squares on and, and put an individual letter in an individual box for the company name, the address, blah, blah, blah. It was a whole page of boxes and it used to make my eyes cross. And And I said to the boss, you know, this is such a waste of my time and talents because you know I, I'm good in an, a situation like that I'm good in business I, I can see what needs doing get it done I'm quite efficient and um, this seemed like a nonsense why not just send the invoice over to them and put in the top right corner the code we wanted it to go against so it, we, we could see you know what we were spending money on um, and he said oh no that's the way the business works you know massively frustrated by it because um, it just seemed pointless and I uh, I can't bear it if something's not working properly it just drives me mad so um, I ended up going back to the um, commercial property surveyors and estate agents in the West End the boss said that since I'd left the staff were running the place he was fed up of it all and um, he just said oh please come sort it all out so I did and it was interesting I've often ended up in these situations where I'm not in one group nor the other so I wasn't a boss I advised them um, and managed on their behalf and I wasn't one of the team anymore because I was you know in charge of them so I was in the middle and um, that's happened to me quite a few times and I'm, I'm kind of I'm cool with that now I can see that I can operate quite well in that central position where I, um, I'm looking after both ends of the um, issue or the or the team or whatever it is. So um, sorted those out, um, got better cooperation, the staff were much happier, settled them all down, got more focus in the place and we made more 
profit and ultimately back in those days we used to get bonuses at Christmas a nice wadge of cash in an envelope <laughs> those days are gone sadly um, and then we hit the recession in early 90s and I remember in the um, Hanover Square where I was um, the big com- commercial um, property companies were there and there was a lot of hostile takeovers and there were mergers and there was a sort of shock every every other day it felt like and there was businesses going bust and all kinds of things but what horrified me was that that those big companies very often slashed their marketing team the first the first team to go was the marketing team and even though I was still relatively young I just kind of went why would you do that because the marketing team are bringing in the leads to the sales team and you just cut off that supply. That's, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I would have been thinking, how can we make this uh, more cost effective? How can we streamline it? What else can we do? But just to like delete an entire department seemed crazy. And often it was those ones that ended up getting taken over because the, their business dried up. So um, back at the estate agents, I saw an opportunity for better staff recruitment agency work. Um, There was a lady upstairs who we'd sublet an office to who did recruitment agency work. And I got very friendly with her. And it suddenly just became obvious to me that um, as a recruiter for the the surveyors I was working with, um, shocking service I was getting from the big boys. They would just send me like 20... CVs in an envelope and I'd have to wade through all this paper it used to be huge things come through the post and most of the most of the CVs were rubbish they didn't relate to what I'd specifically said I wanted in my new staff member um, plus they charged about 12% of the annual salary um, which was a hefty whack you know it'd be often two or three grand to bring in a new member of staff which was a lot back then, still be a lot now. Um, and um, and I just thought, you know, I just wanted a new challenge. I sort of sorted out this business for my boss and um, God love him. And, um, and I just spoke to this recruiter and said, you know, I'd like to have a desk in your office and, and tackle um, the commercial estate agents in London and the city, were a lot of whom I already knew because of me working closely with the boss. Um, and um, I felt I could really get something off the ground. And so I did. <laughs> it was a bit scary. But I did. I took a punt on it. And um, I just undercut everybody else and um, upped the service level massively. I recall one guy saying to me, ringing me up and saying, you've only sent me one CV. And I said, yeah, because she's perfect for the job and I don't want to waste your time. And he said, well, the other agencies normally send me, you know, 20 CVs. And I said, and are they all rubbish? And he went, well, yeah. And I said, have you got time to waste on that all that? And he said, no, I'm really busy. That's why I need, you know, a new secretary. Um, And I said, well, um, I think you'll take this girl on. I think she's absolutely perfect. And um, sure enough, he rang me back later and he went, oh, I've hired her immediately. She's fantastic. And I said, I know. (laughs) So um, I I sort of improved the service and um, and I undercut them massively. In the early days, I know I was doing 500 quid flat fee just to get the business in and get the desk um, making some money. 
Um, but sure enough, you know, like I left about less than two years later because I was pregnant with Max, my first baby. And um, sadly, she never replaced me with someone else who knew what they were doing. And I decided that um, rather than being um, on the trains every day going into town, I actually wanted to nurture and feed my baby. I had a complete about turn on that once he was in my arms. But at the time, I was married to a lawyer who is working for a city firm who dealt with um, a lot of shipping and property, um, particularly for the Greeks. And they had um, a two-floor office looking out uh, from the South Bank, looking out over the Thames. It was absolutely splendid. Um, And they were in the top uh, 100 law firms in the UK. So they were, you know, very big um, and profitable etc and very well known and respected but as the recession was biting there um, they had these two huge floors with a massive beautiful staircase in the middle running between the floors and um, and I remember you know them starting to talk about how things were biting and the Greeks were moving back to uh, Greece and um, business was was plummeting and they had these huge costs and each floor cost half a million pounds a year in rent plus 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 all the other costs and I just looked at it and I went well I, when I went there there was like it was like a ghost town It'd be like a, te- a, a secretary sitting outside an office and then you'd walk along quite quite a few empty desks before you found another secretary outside an office and then um, a lot of those offices um, looking through the glass were empty and and I was just like how can you operate this business with so many overheads and so few staff and clearly business is going down plus they had a book debt of um, oh, I think it was two million pounds yeah two million pound book debt meaning their clients weren't being asked to put fees on account. They were very slow and reticent even about billing their clients and they weren't really chasing them up. And so ultimately I ended up saying, look, I'll work for you and I'll work on the book debt because I'd got um, the children by then um, and it just meant that I could keep my brain busy and do some good for the company because I didn't want it going under because it was bringing our salary home. Um, so um, yeah, within the first year, and less probably than that actually, um, I brought the book debt down by a million pounds. So that saved them a lot, um, kept them from the edge. Um, and then I said, well, why don't you take the staircase out, make this into two proper floors and then let the lower floor that you don't need because you you don't need that much space let that out um and i remember that's exactly what they ended up doing and uh, looking back now i think i was i was a bit uh, uh i was a bit out there really sort of like but i could just see what they needed to do and they couldn't see you know they were highly intelligent um top lawyers in the city but they hadn't got much business now, um, which, you know, I could just see that they had to um, reduce their outgoings massively and get rid of the space that they really didn't need for half a million 
pounds a year. So um, it did take a while to let, but ultimately they did let that other floor and that obviously saved them huge amounts of money. However, because they were directionless and a bit hopeless, sadly they did ultimately get um, bought out by another firm. Um, and so they no longer exist, sadly. Um, and meanwhile, I ended up going out to Athens because that law firm wanted to open up a, an office in Piraeus for the Greeks that were going back there. Um, so they didn't lose the clients to other law firms that were already there. Um, so we ended up moving out there with the children um, in 2001. Um, and again, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I spotted... Um, that there was no ready meals available there. You had to cook from scratch every day. There was no such thing as M&S or Waitrose. And whilst, of course, it's not good to live on that um, kind of food all the time, there is, you know, there is a very high standard in those um, supermarkets. Um, and um, I just thought, well, you know, I'm a farmer's daughter. I'm not afraid to cook in large quantities. Why don't I cook ready meals? So I made thousands and thousands of lasagnas, beef wellingtons, mince pies, uh, curries. You couldn't get curry there. Um, you name it, I made it. And um, I did very well, actually. I got very well known for that. And I had to market like, like mad in the school playground. Um, again, starting that off was um, a bit of a stretch. I was really nervous about what people would say about who does she think she is and all that usual stuff that goes through our heads. Um, but I had a go anyway and I thought what's the worst that can happen it fizzles out and people just will forget about it but anyway it did really really well some people still talk about my um, handmade British sausages to this day <laughs> so yeah and then um, because my um, second child ended up having heart failure and a stroke at the age of 12 there we had to, I had to move back with him um, I was divorced by then um, and I came back in 2008 at Christmas uh, so I lost my business, my home, which was rented, but my home, my car, my friends out there, everything. And I had to start again here. And it was through talking to my osteopath friend, Anne, that, who was treating my son for his uh, right side hemiplegia whilst um, we were going to Great Ormond Street for a, ostensibly a heart transplant. Um, it was while talking to her that she said the Roland Becker Institute that she was a member of were looking for somebody to do marketing. And that's how I ended up doing a few hours a month, sometimes. Um, I mean, 10 years ago in August, I remember earning £60 because um, there were no courses on over the summer. And uh, that was, I took a few calls and booked a few people on courses for the autumn, but um, that was it. And I was like, I really need to do something else to earn some money whilst going in and out of hospitals all the time. And uh, it was at that point that I was on a course or two here and there with, with osteos, of course, doing palpation or cranial stuff that, um, and BLT, I remember we did, um, talking to them on the courses they were saying oh I keep making people better I don't know how to get more patients in blah 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 and I was going oh ooh, ooh. Yeah, here I go again <laughs> what about social media and they were like oh no I'm not going there goodness me and I was like no really it's, it's how I found you guys to get you on the course it was via social media and I uh, taught myself to um, use it for business and then that word osteobiz floated into my head one Sunday 
morning and I just kind of thought, oh, maybe that could be a thing. And I asked the team and, and I said, you know, what do you think? And they went, oh, yes, we're hopeless at all this stuff. We need help with marketing. We don't know what we're doing. We never got trained in running a business. And, you know, if patient numbers drop, we don't know what to do. And I was like, right, well, well, let's have a go. And that was a, that was probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done, actually was to launch that and put myself out there because I wasn't an osteo and I hadn't run a clinic before but again I wasn't a lawyer before and I wasn't an estate agent before but when I look in I can just see I just I can just clearly see what's not working and what needs to work better and um, and that's what I still do you know with every new client that comes along I look at what isn't working and what could be more efficient and where we need to step things up, what we need to get rid of. And, you know, that seems to be my little superpower is not being an osteo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 10 years later, um, I still get a buzz from doing this. So um, it's really interesting to do this podcast for you today because um, I just started thinking about my journey and like what what are the highlights of it? And I've realised that the highlights are where I can spot opportunities for growth, how to improve things. I've just, I've just got a knack for it. So if you ever need a hand with your clinic, you know where to get hold of me. There's contact information in the show notes. So I hope that was an interesting journey through um, my career to date. And I hope you have a great day. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Osteo Business Podcast. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on all Jilly's channels, which can be found in the show notes. Jilly's back soon with more tips, ideas, and strategies to build your thriving practice.